Well, I want to thank the praise team. It's good to uh, hear you, see you, feel the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us in worship. Thank you. Especially Delaney. Where'd she go? Thanks, sweetie. And it's good to see all of you in worship this morning. Um, I have been uh, rehabbing from a hip surgery, and in that process, I stumbled across a verse that I have uh, read many, many, many times before uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, just a little snippet of a verse, and it spoke to me as, you know, sometimes you read verses you've read many times before, but this time it said something different and new. So I'd like to read this scripture for you and uh, share some thoughts from this text. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Physical training has of, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us this morning. Um, I brought this morning my uh, baseball myth that my dad gave me when I was, I think, nine. And this was the, one of the early adventures into physical training. Uh, my dad, you see, was a pitcher. And he uh, played for Wahai Blue Devils. And he was pretty good, apparently. I mean, uh, I don't have any videos to back that up. But I do have some black and white pictures of him standing on the mound. And, uh, and he must have been good. Because he told me that they flunked him in seventh grade just so he could pitch another year for the team. <laughs> you got to believe your dad. He was good. And so dad would come home. And he would take off, he was a salesman, take off his sh shirt, tie, slacks, jacket, hang them up in the closet. Then he'd put on a pair of khaki pants and a white t-shirt, usually a white J.C. Penney's white t-shirt with a pocket. That was his uniform around the house. And he, we, he would play catch. And so Jake has volunteered this morning. Uh, when, when Noah was deployed, uh, what, 15 years ago, four, I don't know how long ago, Jake was like second grade, and he and I went out and played catch together. And that was about the last time I've played catch. Already? Now, what, what's really going to look good is my ball zips to him, and he kind of floats it back. He's left-handed, and I gave him a left-handed mitt, so he has to throw with his other hand. Okay. All right, buddy. Yeah, here we go. All right. One step back. One step back. So Dad would take me. Beside the house, and he would crouch down, and the first thing was the fastball, right? Whoa! And I would work with that fastball till I could get it across the plate nice and low. And the second pitch you need, once you've mastered the fastball, is the curve. You kind of snap your, you throw it kind of toward the batter, right-handed batter, 
and then it breaks off, and I'm sure I can't throw a curve anymore, but that kind of did. Did you see a curve? You saw, I saw it. Did you see it? Yeah, it was a curve, curveball. And once the curveball is mastered, and then it's the change-up. You know, you take a big wine, wait. The change-up. Now, when I was 10, 11, my change-up and my fastball were pretty similar. They probably stayed that way. Jake, thank you. Training. This was one of my early attempts at physical training. And I'm sure some of you have also been involved with physical training. How to golf better? We have two exceptional golfers right here. <laughs> and uh, maybe it was training to run a quicker mile, training to do more pull-ups, training to eat fewer calories. Right? Did anybody relate with that? So I think most of us have been in some sort of physical training. And I'm in physical training once again, uh, trying to get my hip working just right. Usually does pretty good, but last night it was just sore. Every time I stepped on it, it hurt. But, uh, so I'm about seven weeks post-op, and it's, it's doing better. But I am in physical training once again. My therapist has given me 17 exercises. And um, it's not the most glamorous physical training I've ever been in, but I am in physical training. And that's good. And I know that many of you have, have done far more serious forms of training than I ever have with some of the crazy people that are here this morning. Um, and physical training is good for us. I mean, the, the body is the temple of the living God. Amen? And it's good for us to eat right and exercise and to sleep right. Uh, Paul tells us in this letter to Timothy, physical training is of some value. But he goes on to say, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. So I want to talk with you this morning about training in godliness. Training in godliness. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon about that, but it seems to fit that, you know, we spend so much time training our bodies in different aspects. What does it look like to train for godliness? Well, as I age, I can't do all the things I once did. I, I, uh, my golf game has... Uh, greatly deteriorated. My physical therapist, or my surgeon has said I really shouldn't run again, and I, I used to run quite a bit, and I miss that. Uh, not that I was a great runner or fast or anything, but it was a good mental, spiritual, cathartic kind of thing to get out there and pound the pavement. But here's the good news. Even though I can't do some of the things I used to do, I still have a spirit that it's alive and active. Amen? And I have more time, perhaps, now in this stage of life uh, that I can spend in training for godliness. So this morning, I want to think with you about two questions to chew on about godliness. The first question is, what does a godly life look like? If we're going to train for something, we have to know what the end product is, what the goal is. What does it look like? What does a godlike life look like? And second... 
How do we train to get there? What exercises, what disciplines in order to receive, uh, achieve a godly life? So let's first look at what godliness looks like. And when I think about that question, I think about, well, Jesus Christ, who is God. If we want to know what a godly life looks like, let's look to Jesus Christ, who is God. And when I think about the life of Christ, uh, this is no one right or wrong answer. I'm sure there are multiple answers if I were to say to you, what's a word or two that would describe the life of Jesus? I'm sure we get many valid responses, but the first word that I think of is that is selfless. Jesus was selfless. He cared more about others than he cared about himself. And nowhere is that clearer, perhaps, than in Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible there, grab it and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Here Paul is writing to his understudy, Timothy, younger man, and he tries to write uh, back to the church in Philippi, giving them some instructions. He doesn't write to Timothy, excuse me. He's writing to the church in Philippi who had struggles, apparently some uh, power struggles going on in the church. You've never seen that, have you? Power struggles in the church? Nah. And he writes in verse 5, your attitude to the church of Philippi, to the church of grace, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's great, great text. Let's just chew on this just for a minute. Jesus, who is God, 100% God, his very essence, his being is God, yet he did not selflessly cling to his divine prerogatives as God. Got that? He is in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be selfishly clung to. Instead, he made himself nothing. Now, the Greek verb there is kenosis. He emptied himself. It's often translated. And there's a lot of mystery here. Wonderful mystery. Just exactly of what did Jesus empty himself? Well, obviously, he emptied himself of that sense of omnipresence, He couldn't be everywhere at once as he used to be. So he somehow emptied himself of some of that divine divinity so that he could take upon himself some of that humanity. And he took on the very nature of a doulos, here translated as a servant, other places translated as slave. Jesus became slave. No rights, no privileges, and he made himself in human likeness. Remember that movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Um, God Almighty was willing to shrink himself down to become a frail, helpless little baby. It's kind of like maybe you or I shrinking down to become a one-celled amoeba. It's, it's a huge, a huge dissension that he did for us. And being 
found, uh, and being made in human likeness, he became a human being. All of the pain, all the anguish, all the disappointment that we all feel at times in life, he felt that. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Cross, one of the most painful, hideous ways to die. Jesus was willing to do that, to prove his selflessness to you and I. So when I think about achieving a godly life, I think one of the things we need to think about is more of God, less of me. My wife does that better than I do. She always shares better than, than, than I do. Uh, second, what does a godlike life look like? Second word would be that of obedient. Jesus was obedient to the Father. He refused to placate human beings. He did what the Father told him to do. Uh, with his words and with his actions. He said in John uh, 12, 50, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. No more, no less. The Father speaks to me. I speak what the Father has said. And I do what the Father has asked me to do. John 14, 31, the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So a person that desires to lead, to lead a godly life will lead an obedient life. Amen? Obedient. Now, let's, let's just play with that for a minute. With my words, what kind of words should a disciple of Christ have? Help me. Words that encourage and build people up. Amen. Truthful. Truthful. I think, I th I think that really kind of hits it uh, right on the head, both of them. Uh, words that are affirming and building and encouraging. And so oftentimes today, we, our words, the words that we hear in the television are less than building up. It's tearing down and ripping. I have to get ahead, so I have to put you down. And then truthful. I have become so frustrated with politics, and I'm not pointing at one party or the other, but I think politicians have forgotten how to tell the truth. People will say whatever they need to say so that they get ahead. And it's, it's a shame. You sit there, you know they're lying, You've done the facts check stuff, and they still keep saying it. And it's just, what happened to the ethics of honesty? Disciples of Jesus Christ, if we want to emulate and be like God and have God-like attitudes, we've got to tell the truth, and we've got to do so with love and gentleness and respect. Amen? And with our actions, the same thing. I think we have to ask ourselves, uh, what kind of books and magazines are we reading? What kind of websites are we visiting? What type of television programs, movies are we renting? Um, because all of those things should be uh, things that build up the spirit and not bring us to places of darkness. A disciple of Jesus Christ, a person that wants to live a godly life, will live a life that's disciplined for obedience. A selfless life, an obedient life, and third, a life of love. 
I think if you have to characterize who is God, a godly life with one word, what would you say? God, God is love. So it makes sense to use that word to say uh, an obedient, uh, godly life will be a loving life. Now, I don't think Jesus displayed a gushy, sentimental, emotional love. It was a tough love, a sacrificial love, a love that uh, had pain at times. Uh, Jesus' love was seen as his hands and nails, hands and feet were nailed to the cross, and he outstretched his arms, and he said, this is how much I love you. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's, that's unthinkable. Can you think as a parent about giving up your son, your daughter? It's unimaginable, unthinkable, and yet that's the kind of love that God models to us. What does a godly life look like? A life of selfless giving, obedient living, and love, a love that is proven with sacrifice. So that kind of talks about the first question, what does an obedient, uh, a godly life look like? Now, how do we achieve it? What's the training schedule? How do we get there? How many push-ups? How many Hail Marys? How many, what do we have to do? Well, you didn't like that? <laughs> Hail, I, yeah, probably, probably wasn't appropriate. How, what do we have to do to achieve uh, that godly life? And I think um, you, you know the answers to this as well as I do. I, w- I want to point out three disciplines that are important to us. And I think the first discipline is that of prayer. If we want to become more like the Father, we need to spend more time with the Father. Prayer is the act of being with God. Simply, quickly, if we want to grow in Christ, if we want to uh, become a more godly person, we just need to spend time in prayer. Now, some people like to take prayer walks, Some people uh, kneel when they pray. Some try to pray in bed. Some when they're taking a jog. Uh, Sometimes people pray by journaling. Sometimes people pray with a prayer list. Uh, Some people's prayers are much more spontaneous and free-flowing and unscripted. But whatever prayer looks like to you, I think that's the first thing in achieving, walking toward that godly life, to spend time listening to the Father. Amen? What would be another discipline you'd recommend? Go to church. Fellowship, worship. That's number three. We have to wait for that, John. Number two is <laughs> Scripture. Scripture. If we want to have a godly life, we have to open up God's instruction manual. It tells us what to do. It tells us what not to do. Um, after I graduated from high school, I'll speak to Jake here, about your age, I made a commitment to myself and kind of my spiritual mentor that I would read the Bible every day for 15 minutes. Every day for 15 minutes. That's been over 50 years I've opened up the book and read it every day for over 50 years. Now, sometimes I have read it in the Greek because I'm studying a passage in the Greek. Sometimes I listen to it on my Walkman. (laughs) 
now on my cell phone, or I have a CD player in my car, and I can play uh, a CD from my phone, or in my truck, I have a CD player. So sometimes as I'm driving along, often in the evening when I'm retiring, but every day for 50 years, with very few exceptions, very few exceptions, I've read the Word of God. And the neat thing about it is, when I read it, every time there's something there for me. It's fresh and new. I thought a lot about that this week. I think there's two reasons why it's fresh and new. Number one, um, it might have something to do with age and memory. Um, like I, I watch a movie that I saw six months ago, and I'm surprised at the ending. But it also might have to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks to me in a fresh new way, and I've studied that passage, I've preached that passage, and suddenly there's something new for today to encourage me, to challenge me, to chastise me, to uh, build me up. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Should we sing it together, folks? No. <laughs> discipline, spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, and fellowship, worship. And I'm preaching to the choir here. You are here this morning. But think what we can do as we gather in worship. We're here to support one another and to encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake... Uh, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And I think that's the key word there. In times of worship, we lift our voices with praise, we stimulate our minds with scripture, we encourage our hearts with prayer. So I thank you for being here this morning. And thank you for coming to be encouraged and hugged and cared for and to do the same for others. We're going to close in prayer now, but I want to just ask you to bow and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Let's pray. Ask the Holy Spirit what you need to do to become a more godly person, to live a more God-like life. Maybe it's a place of stubbornness and you're not as selfless as you should be. Or maybe God will reveal a place of disobedience where you're walking in darkness and you need to be turning around and walking in the light. Or maybe it's a place where you're just not as loving, not as patient, not as kind as you should be. Or maybe the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning to re-examine your disciplines, that of prayer or worship, worship together or Bible reading. Take a moment just now and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Father God, it is so easy for us to get caught up with all the busyness of this world. We desire to be more like you. We want to live a God-like life. 
We want our lives to reflect you in all that we say and all that we do. We know that we often fall short. We ask for your forgiveness for times of laziness, forgiveness for times of disobedience. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit, to say no to any darkness in our lives and help us more and more to demonstrate your love to all around us. This we pray in the holy name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.